most of us are solopreneurs. That's what I am. You can outsource what you will, but you can be a solopreneur. It can be a lonely business. These communities are great opportunities to, I think, uh, make relationships. Sometimes when you feel like you're on an island working, it's done that for me. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau, the podcast for corporate refugees who want to do more of what they love and get paid what they're worth. I'm David Schreiner-Kahn, your guide and community builder. Smashing the Plateau is more than just a podcast. We're a community of like-minded consultants who are committed to supporting one another on our business journey. Before we start, I'd like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. Struggling with achieving your business goals and navigating through challenges can be overwhelming, but there's a solution. Visit smashingtheplateau.com slash goals to book your free 30-minute goal coaching session with me. This one-on-one session offers a unique opportunity for you to gain clarity on your business aspirations, identify roadblocks hindering your progress, and outline practical steps toward achieving your goals. It's personalized, focused, and designed to equip you with the insights to drive your business forward. It's a limited time offer, so seize the moment. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash goals. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Lois Kramer, an expert in helping professional speakers enhance their business ventures. In our conversation, we will dive deep into the world of public speaking and how Lois has curated an exclusive group of speakers who are making waves in the industry. Lois will share her unique approach to fostering community, the joys of her journey, and the importance of monetizing one's message. If you've ever wondered about the ins and outs of the speaking industry or how to fully capitalize on your message, this episode is a must-listen. Now let's welcome Lois Kramer. Lois is an industry expert working with speakers, consultants, and experts who want to book more business, make more money, and fully monetize their message. She started her company, Book More Business, after working in sales and marketing at United States Steel Corporation and then managing a successful speakers business. She has presented at every National Speakers Association chapter as well as at conventions and workshops. As a member of the Global Speaking Federation, she has presented at the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, Professional Speaking Association India, Africa, Scotland, and Australia, and PSA United Kingdom Ireland named her an honorary fellow in 2020. Lois is the author of Book More Business, Make Money Speaking, and co-author with Kathy Fayok of the speaker author, Sell More Books and Book More Speeches. She has appeared in Forbes, Bloomberg Business, Speaker Magazine, and the Wall Street Journal. Lois, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, David. Great to be with you. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Let's start off by talking a little bit about your career background. How did you actually get started in your business? I got started in my business in 1998, which now sounds like 1898 every time I say it, David. After working, uh, running a business of a professional speaker, very successful professional speaker here in St. Louis, where I live. And I kind of fell into that just by an introduction of a friend I went to college with. He was looking for someone. I had been a stay-at-home mom after adopting a little girl. I wanted to be at home for a number of years. I did. And to get back in the job market, I thought this sounded like a great idea, working with this professional speaker who was 
just a great guy, still is a great guy. And because of my association with him, I got invited to present at the National Speakers Association convention on how to self-speaking. So I did that. And then I started thinking, I wonder if there could be a business in this for me. Working with professional speakers on selling themselves and positioning themselves. So that's exactly what I did. That's my journey. It's kind of the accidental entrepreneur, David, to tell you the truth, because I never set out to start a business. It just, the opportunity came. I saw an opportunity and I decided, in fact, I remember telling my husband, if I don't make money in 18 months, I'll go back and work for somebody else. I've done it very successfully, but lo and behold, it's worked. Yeah. Well, first of all, you you do need to actually try something to see how well it's going to work or not. And there are so many accidental pivots that we make in life and in our careers that yours is a great example. You know, you're absolutely right. There are lots of things, I think, too, seeing an opportunity and then leveraging that opportunity is really what I did. There were really very few people who were doing what I'm doing right now. There are a lot of them now, but there were very few when I started. And I think that's why I was able to get some traction right away, David, because I saw an opening. I jumped in before a lot of other people did. Lois, did you have any trepidation jumping into something where there weren't a lot of other people doing something? Because, you know, sometimes it seems, at least to me, it seems like if very few people are doing something or no one's doing it, it may not be that much of an opportunity. And that's why nobody else is in that space. On the other hand, if too many people are doing something, then maybe the marketplace is really crowded. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Did I have trepidation? Absolutely. I think anytime we make a big life shift, there's trepidation involved. One of the things I, when I work with uh, speakers, David, is one of the things I say first is, is what you want to do is your expertise marketable. And my sense was that mine was marketable just based on the demand within NSA for me to speak to speakers and the people approaching me. I got so many offers of free meals uh, for people to pick my brain, David. I looked at that as a sign. And so I felt, I felt confident, but I definitely felt some trepidation. Yeah, that it definitely is a sign. If people keep asking you for advice, it's definitely a sign. So let's go a little deeper into what transpired. And what you're describing is that there's a focus that speakers need to have on their expertise and on what the message is that they're delivering. But then there's another element, which is where you come in, which is how do you actually either make a living or maybe make a very good living doing that? And it sounds like it's two very different kinds of skills. You know, there there really are, there are a number of skills involved if you want to get involved in the professional speaking industry. First and foremost, you need to be able to speak. You need to have presentation skills. You need to have a great speech. I do none of those things. In order to work with me, somebody has to have a great speech. They have to have expertise that's marketable, and they have to have the chops to present it in a compelling way. And as I said, those are things that I don't do. But once you have those things, if you want to make money with them, you come to me. And I'll tell you, honestly, David, one of the reasons I decided, I really started thinking, I think I'll start my own business, is because my, my sense was 
that most professional speakers really sucked when they answered the question, what do you do? They would answer by saying, I speak on, and then insert topic here. I speak on sales. I speak on leadership. I speak on, I speak on. And coming from a sales and marketing background, I thought that isn't that compelling, giving me a way you deliver and then a topic, a delivery system and a topic. So I developed and really started my business based on what I call a positioning statement. How do you position yourself in front of the buyer? How do you say what you do? It's a concept and outcome statement. You gave my positioning statement when you introduced me. Instead of saying, I'm a consultant in the speaking industry, I say, I work with speakers who want to book more business, make more money, and monetize their message. I did some sales programs for corporate sales teams years ago. And I said, for that, I work with organizations that want to fast forward their selling skills so they'll be better at what they do. And to me, that was a more compelling way to position myself in front of a prospect or client instead of saying, I speak on sales. So let's talk about the actual money-making part of the speaking business. What are some of the ways that speakers can make money? Well, there are lots of ways that speakers can make money. I remember speaking, David, at the International Center for Professional Speaking a number of years ago. And I went in, I actually, David, I went into a closet to change before somebody dropped me off at the airport after my speech. And it was kind of a a place for memorabilia. And I looked and saw a 33 and a third album that the founder of the National Speakers Association in the early 1960s used to sell after he spoke. Now, can you imagine flying around the country with 33 and a third albums and selling them in the back of the room? But he was on to something. Back then, most speakers just got in a plane, gave a speech, came home, and looked for another opportunity to do the same thing. Now, with the advent of the internet and the digital age, there are a number of ways that people can monetize that message. In fact, I consult. That's the way I make most of my money. I speak. I have a membership, private membership group uh, that meets once a week. People pay a yearly fee to be in it. I write. I have my books. I have some digital recordings. There are a number of ways that you can monetize that expertise, a course. All of these things uh, go into putting your intellectual property out in the marketplace. And one of the things we know is that people like to learn in a number of ways. So I tell my clients, look to leverage your expertise, not reinvent the wheel. Learn to monetize that expertise on a number of platforms. And that's the way you really make money in the speaking business. Yeah, and I think what you said, Lois, that that people learn in multiple ways is really key to thinking about how you can leverage your expertise to make money in multiple ways. Yes, I totally agree. And quite frankly, you are viewed, you're positioned better in the marketplace, David, because someone looks at you as someone with a great depth of expertise, not just a few stories that you can share on a platform. But if you can write in depth about it, if you can consult, if you could do small group work, if you have a course, I think that you're viewed with deeper expertise, which I think are the keys to the kingdom in the speaking industry. Well said. Now, Lois, pricing seems to be a black hole for many people who sell their expertise, right? And I hear you chuckling. What what advice do you have for speakers when it comes to pricing? Not much, (laughs) which might surprise you. 
You know, David, that's the question I'm I'm asked a lot of times. I'm asked, you know, what should I charge? What should I charge? And my answer typically is, I have no idea. I don't know you. I don't know your expertise. I don't know what market you want to work in. And really, all of those factors go into pricing, the value of your intellectual property in the marketplace. The great thing about living today is that we can do a lot of market intelligence online and see what people are speaking about, what their expertise is, what kind of experience they have, what kind of markets they're working in. And lots of times we can even tell what their fee is. And so I tell clients, you need to do some market intelligence as far as what your fee should be. When I work one-on-one with clients, I, I will come in with my sense of what they ought to be charging. And you know, David, I'll tell you something interesting. Typically, my sense is that they they are undercharging. Most professional speakers undercharge because they're not confident enough to give a bigger number. Well, that actually reminds me of uh, another area where I see people who are selling their expertise are often challenged, which is they're very good at delivering results using their expertise. They're often very reluctant to spend their time doing marketing and sales, or they're, you know, they're very often, I would say cowardly when it comes to marketing and sales. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, one of the things that, that I always say, and that you read in my book, and thank you for reading my book, is that if you want to speak, you better be good at selling because you can have the best speech in the world. It will go unheard if you're not able to sell it. And most of us mere mortals out at the marketplace have to sell ourselves. We don't have agents and bureaus knocking on our door who want to represent us. I am always approached by speakers at every level, David, saying, I just want an agent. I want somebody to sell me and I'll give them a percentage. I always say, well, that probably isn't going to happen. What you need to do is get better at selling. So what are some of the ways you can get better at selling? Well, you can work with me. You can take some sales courses. You can read some sales books. One of my favorite sales books, uh, two of my favorite sales books, let me say, one is written by a client of mine, Jeffrey Gittimer, The Sales Bible, which I think is really good. Also, there is one, and the author is eluding me right now. I should know it because I recommend it all the time. It's Selling the Invisible. It's on Amazon. And it's a great book on selling a service, something that is, can be hard to, uh, hard to put into words. But I think Selling the Invisible is a terrific book for people in the service business who want to sell what they do. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things I often tell people is, you can be really good at what you do, but if you're not making money from it, it's a hobby. It's not a business. That's absolutely right. right. I do think that, you know, due diligence in all things, especially people who are want to leave a day job and jump into something on their own, you need to make sure what you do is marketable and that you have the skills to do that. And it is a skill set. Plus, no one can talk about your intellectual property like you can. If I bring in a third party, they are not going to be able to talk about my expertise the way that I can. And people who are deciding to spend thousands of dollars to bring you in to work with them, they want to talk to the source. So you need to be good at describing what you do, positioning what you do, and selling, giving people a reason to buy what you're selling. Yeah. 
Lois, in your book, you talk a little bit about national versus local. I'm wondering if you could share some ideas about how you might be able to leverage one versus the other. There is something in the professional speaking industry that is kind of curious, I think, David, and that's that people in your own hometown find it hard to recognize you as an expert. I remember talking to a major corporation that has its headquarters here in St. Louis. Years ago, I wanted to do a sales program. for, And I had made the cut. I think that was they were down to three. And they said, well, we really like this gentleman out in L.A. And they were located 15 minutes from my home. I wanted this so bad. So I said, if it'll make you feel better, I'll fly to Kansas City, fly in, and somebody can pick me up at the airport and bring me to the meeting. And he laughed and he said, I think we'll go with you after I said that. It's such a curious thing. Sometimes we can't be considered an expert in our own hometown. But I do think that lots of speakers, when they think this is what I want to do for a living, think globally. How can I take my message to the world? And I think a lot of people people overlook great opportunity in their own backyard. I tell people, look what companies have a good presence in your area. Where can you go to an airport and fly within an hour round trip? That's a good place to market. I used to market my sales programs to Chicago. I live in St. Louis. I could get up and down and sleep in my own bed lots of times the same day, which was absolutely terrific. So I think that sometimes we we think globally instead of thinking locally, and you have to start somewhere. But even if, if you're advanced in what you do, don't miss opportunities locally. They can be absolutely wonderful. Yeah. One of the other things that comes to mind when we're talking about using our professional expertise is how each person is unique in the way they may deliver their expertise. And personally, I, I don't think that, that anyone else is direct competition because there are lots of different ways, as I said, to deliver solutions. Uh, many people are indirect competition, but I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on different ways that you can tap into and or leverage the expertise of others to help you grow your own speaking business. Well, I think for years in my business, I have been part of a mastermind group. Four or five people, and we each have different areas of expertise, and we refer each other. If I'm a good fit somewhere, say for an association, the odds of that association wanting me back right away are slim. But if they trust me, if they've liked what I've done for them and they trust me as a resource, they might take a recommendation I have. And I'm very serious when I give a recommendation. I have seen somebody, I know them to be a great expert, and I know they have a great ability to communicate. So you can leverage relationships. You can create a little lead group. It doesn't even have to be a mastermind group necessarily, but of people that you know, you know their material, you trust them, create a little referral group. These are great ways for speakers to constantly be getting some warm leads into the pipeline, which are really welcome. Yeah. So speaking of those kinds of relationships, in your book, you mentioned the asset value of your database. What are some of the ways that you can earn revenue from your network? That's a question I I like to ask myself every day. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I wish, I wish I had started uh, curating an email list earlier than I did, 
but I was pretty quick recognizing that I wanted to capture what I can. The first thing I tell anybody who is interested in going into their business as a speaker, consultant, expert, entrepreneur, start capturing emails of people who are interested in what you do. It doesn't matter whether they are ready to pull out a wallet or sign a check. Anyone who has interest in what you do. I use my list in a number of ways. I constantly use it to keep my name in front of them. And typically, I write a blog, usually once a week, she said confidently. (laughs) Usually once a week, I like a piece of something in depth, 500 to 800 words of a single point to go to my uh, speaker database. My database is very niche, as my business is. And so I want to give them something that they can use in their business, hoping that If they see something they like and they feel like they need some help in their business, I'm going to be the one that they think of. Whenever I do a webinar, when I opened up a membership group, which I did during COVID, that's where I got the people who I wanted to approach to be in my membership group. From people who said that expressed an interest in me by signing up and giving me their email. I tested the waters. I've done polls with my database. I'm constantly weeding out names of people who don't want to be on it any longer or I never hear from and looking to qualify those leads in a real concrete way so I know who the hot leads are, who would be open to a webinar, who should I be approaching about some small group work, that kind of thing. So I I think a database is the equity part of a business. And I think that people need to take it very seriously from the start. Lois, I mentioned in the introduction that you're an author and a co-author, but in your book, you also share the story of how you turned down a New York publishing house that wanted to produce your book. Yes. And here you are in the expert space where most people would love to be published, especially nowadays, by a New York publishing house. Why did you turn down an offer that many people would give anything to have? Well, you know, I turned it down fitfully, quite frankly. I gave it a lot of thought. I was approached after a speech I did in Las Vegas by someone from a publishing company I was familiar with. They published a lot of business books. And she came up to me and she said, "We, I just love your speech. I want to talk to you when we get home about writing a book for us. And I remember saying to her, David, well, I spent plenty of money buying books from your company. It's about time some of your money came my way. And we had the conversations are what dictated my decision. Our first conversation, David, she said, well, we we want you to be an author with us. What we would like you to do is expand out from speakers. We don't think speakers is a big enough market for us. Could you make it for service providers? So I said, well, let me think about that. And I'll get back to you. A couple of days later, she called me and she said, you know, we've been thinking. I don't know who we are, David, but we've been thinking. Uh, we would like you to make this a small business book. And I said, well, let me think about that. I'll be back to you within 24 hours. So I called her back and I said, I don't think I'm a fit because small business people don't know who the hell I am. I have a very niche business. People who sell services may or may not know. They probably don't know who I am. The people in the speaking, consulting, and expert business may know who I am. And there's a possibility I could sell some books there. But I don't think I'd sell enough books that would make you happy. I certainly wouldn't make enough money selling those books if you published it. 
And I don't think, I think your interest in me would be very fleeting, as it is with most authors publishing through a New York publishing house. So uh, I decided that I had best make my own arrangements to do it. And David, I will never forget that I closed by saying, I want you to know I was extremely flattered to be approached by you. Thank you so much for your time. And I got an email back shortly after we hung up the phone. And the email was one sentence saying, you're making a big mistake. And I said, boy, that just affirms that I made the right decision. And it, it was a good decision for me. Yeah. And, you know, good for you that you had the courage to make that decision. It, it's a hard decision to make. You know, it was because I had to, you know, one of the things that I considered is the mojo enough just to ha- have a publisher's name on the inside cover of my book? Is that mojo worth enough? Or do I want to make money doing it and get credibility? The reality is my book has sold well in the speaking industry. And David, I will share with you that when I decided, when I wrote this book, published it, I would tell people, this book is going to sell in the tens. Not the tens of billions or tens of thousands, in the tens. And I said, that's my family. Oh, a Greek apply a copy. It's such a niche book. But the interesting thing is, I that is five years old now. I'm now writing a second edition. It's five years old. I have never failed to get a royalty check from it. Now I'm not saying it's millions of dollars, but the interest in it has been fascinating to me. It's done really well. And so it goes to show that if you do take, I think if you take specific expertise and drop it into a target, highly targeted market. That, to me, are the keys. Yeah. Well, as they say, the riches are in the niches. Yes. Lois, one last question I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that you have a membership. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience as a community leader? Yes. It has probably been the most fun thing I've done in years, uh, starting this group. I took a course during COVID on creating a membership group. A friend of mine had one, not in uh, my area of expertise. I was part of it because I wanted to learn from her. And I thought, boy, my expertise would be fun applying it into a group, into a community. And so I took this course and I decided how I wanted to format it. And really, I looked at my book and I thought, geez, I've got plenty of content. Uh, And that's not if I bring in anybody else and people will get pretty bored just hearing me. So I started a group and we meet once a week for an hour. I typically bring in an outside expert uh, once or twice a month. I do something, riff on something, if you will, for one week. And then one week is kind of an open office hours where people can come and they can bring any questions, comments, anything they want feedback on. They get feedback from the group, not just me. And I curate this group. People in it need to be professional speakers, need to be making money speaking. These aren't people who are thinking about speaking and thinking about jumping into the business. These are people who are doing this. So it has really been a joyful thing. And then I have a, it's in a private community. So we communicate during the week. People can post questions, comments. I'm on there every day to see if anybody needs anything. It has really been fun for me. And I think As an entrepreneur, you know this, a lot of your listeners know, it can be a lonely business. Most of us are solopreneurs. That's what I am. You can outsource what you will, but you can be a solopreneur. It can be a lonely business. These communities are great opportunities 
to, I think, uh, make relationships in what sometimes when you feel like you're on an island working, it's it's done that for me. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Lois, we've covered a lot of territory today and a lot about your background and your expertise. If anyone wants to go deeper with anything that you've shared today or access any resources you have, get a copy of one of your books, where would they go? They can go to my website, uh, which is bookmorebusiness.com, bookmorebusiness.com. And if they want to sign up for my blog on the uh, things that are going on in the speaking industry, they can get a free ebook, How to Sell a Speech. I would be happy to offer that. And you'll get that if you want to sign up for the blog. But that's where to go to find out uh, exactly what I do, how I do it, why I do it, and who I do it for. It sounds great. Thank you so much. My guest today has been Lois Kramer, who works with speakers, consultants, and experts who want to book more business, make more money, and fully monetize their message. Thank you, Lois, for joining us. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Remember, being an entrepreneur doesn't mean going it alone. Our community is here to support you, inspire you, and walk with you on your journey. Don't forget to visit smashingtheplateau.com goals and book your free 30-minute goal coaching session with me, David Schreiner-Kahn. It's an opportunity to gain clarity, identify obstacles, and create a solid action plan towards achieving your business aspirations. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash goals. Join us next time for more wisdom from industry leaders. Until then, keep striving, keep believing, and keep smashing. Keep smashing.